Okay, so we talked in the last show about Laquan Treadwell and how the Laquan Treadwell rationalization campaign would be starting momentarily. And it has arrived. It has kicked off. Here it is. Scouts love Laquan Treadwell, so he must be good. That is all. That's it. Frank DuPont, the founder of Rotoviz, justifies keeping Laquan Treadwell ranked as the number one wide receiver based primarily on the assumption that Treadwell will be a first round pick. And if he is a first round pick, then he's less likely to bust. You can go to rotoviz.com. You can read his article about why he's keeping Laquan Treadwell ranked at number one. And it's a well articulated and well reasoned article. I read it, sat back, thought about it, and now I have some questions. Because if it's true that we should draft Laquan Treadwell because he is going to be a first-round pick, because that is his destiny, now where are we as a fantasy sports industry if that's where we are now? If this is where we've arrived, that rationale, where is this destination? I mean, I just want to look around and, and ask the question, where are we? Are we just now giving up trying to understand anything about these players and just playing the draft slot probability game? Is that all we have left to do? Is that what everything has been distilled down to? Have we abandoned everything? Every aspect of evaluating prospects? Is it all just noise? Is this where we are now? Distilled down to this one thing? draft slot probabilities why bother analyzing football if that's the crux of the analysis i mean why do we exist and sure laquan treadwell's dominator rating was under the 50th percentile and sure laquan treadwell's spark x score on playerprofiler.com was under the 20th percentile but hey he's big and young and scouts gave him a ton of extra style points for cool catches he looks the part and because he looks the part so well, he is destined to be a first-round pick. And if he looks the part so well and is destined to be a first-round pick, then he probably won't be a bust because most first-round picks don't bust. Probably. Maybe. But not definitely. Isn't that why we're here? To sift through the probabilities? To sift through all the maybes and be discerning? Isn't our job to identify the first-round picks who might be irrationally overvalued by NFL scouts, NFL scouts who pay more attention to the eye test than concrete evidence-based data. That's how we knew Tavon Austin was a reach. When the draft pick came in, most of us in the analytics community looked around and said, oof, ugh, oof. That was a bad pick by the Rams. We knew it. We knew it when it came in. We knew to steer clear of Cordell Patterson. An exciting, electric, first-round pick. Buyer beware. That was the stamp stamped on the Cordell Patterson draft pick by people in the football metrics community. And I'm proud of that. And yet with Treadwell, things have changed. With Treadwell now, we're just putting our faith in the NFL scouting complex and saying, just tell us where he's drafted, we'll run their probabilities, and set our rankings from there. I don't get it. I don't, we've had so much success calling the Tavon Austin bust, calling the Allen Robinson ascension. We did that. It was almost consensus across the analytics community in fantasy football that Allen Robinson was undervalued by the NFL scouting complex and that Tavon Austin was overvalued. So why can't we do that with Laquan Treadwell? Why must everything be distilled down to one data point? Why the quest for this one silver bullet theory? I don't understand why we're doing that. I mean, I get it. Laquan Treadwell has some attributes that are exciting. 
I'm not telling people to dismiss Laquan Treadwell. On the Roto Underworld player rankings, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings and click on rookie and you can see our rookie wide receiver rankings. There you will see Laquan Treadwell nestled in the top five because of course, of course, Laquan Treadwell is a top five receiver in the rookie class, just not the number one receiver. I mean, we get it. Laquan Treadwell is big. Laquan Treadwell is young. But being big and being young by itself is not usually enough. Since when is that enough? Deronya Wilson is big. Deronya Wilson is young. And? And? What if 100 NFL scouts came away from watching Deronya Wilson's pro day, watching him high point the football at his pro day and said, wow, wow, Deronya Wilson. He looks like a first round pick. Then what? Does he usurp Laquan Treadwell? Where is the line? That's what I want to know. Where is the line? Why? Why Laquan Treadwell? Why this time are NFL scouts right? But these other times in the past when they were wrong and we knew they were wrong when they were wrong, why was it okay to criticize those picks and bad process by NFL scouts then, but assume that NFL scouts know what they're doing, slotting Laquan Treadwell into the first round now? I don't understand that. I don't understand that reasoning. Devin Funchess was bigger and younger at this time last season than Laquan Treadwell is now. Funchess was assumed to be a first-round pick before the pre-draft process started last season. Then he ran a 4-6-40 and his draft stock deteriorated until he became an early second-round pick in the 2015 draft class. And oh, by the way, Devin Funchess had a 41.4% college dominator rating, more than 10 percentage points higher than Laquan Treadwell's. Now, beyond Treadwell's sub-Funchess measurables, all we can do now is pin our hopes on the NFL scouting complex, overvaluing Treadwell so much that they draft him 10 slots earlier than they drafted Funchess. And I just don't want to put my faith in the NFL scouting complex. Am I crazy? Am I crazy for not wanting to do that? Because it only takes one team to overdraft a player. We saw that with the St. Louis Rams taking Tavon Austin in the top 10. It only takes one team to make an egregious error. And drafting Laquan Treadwell in the top 10 would constitute an egregious error by the NFL scouting complex. So I don't want to put my faith in that entity. But that's all we seem to care about now. Assumed draft capital. That's it. That's the key data point. Assumed draft capital. That's all it takes. All it takes is assumed draft capital for Laquan Treadwell to become a better prospect than Josh Doxson. Josh Doxson, who is on pace for 1,900 yards and 20 touchdowns last season before he hurt his wrist. <laughs> on pace for a top five yardage season and a top 10 touchdown season by a receiver in college football history. Josh Doxson was on pace for a wide receiver season that could only be rivaled by Michael Crabtree's final year at Texas Tech. That's it. Only the epic college receiver Michael Crabtree was as impressive as Josh Doxson was last year against similar levels of competition. But apparently, all you need to do is be a little cooler looking, wear a backwards hat to the NFL scouting combine, which is what my co-host Nate Liss mentioned was something he was impressed by with Laquan Treadwell, that Laquan Treadwell, was, he was walking around the NFL scouting combine, not participating in any of the drills, just looking cool, just taking it easy, looking the part. 
Yeah. All you need to do is be a cooler looking first round version of Devin Funchess to be better than the sublime Josh Doxson. Okay. Right. 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 Yes. That's it. Apparently that's it. If that's the rationale, why do we even bother analyzing college prospects? Why? If you believe in some silver bullet theory, draft position times age equals professional lifetime value, just set that formula up in Excel and turn your brain off. That's all. Just do that. Just turn your brain off. You'll never have to think again about college prospects, which again brings up this existential question. Why are we here? If a quick and dirty formula exists to populate your rankings, why do we even have websites analyzing NFL players? They're unnecessary, apparently. We have a silver bullet theory already. What's the point? What's the point in creating sports websites that analyze college prospects and NFL players? Well, I have an answer. Because the thing is, not all first round picks are created equal. Remember when Kelvin Benjamin was the biggest wide receiver in his class? And scouts were so infatuated with how well Kelvin Benjamin looked the part helping the Florida State Seminoles win a national championship. Kelvin Benjamin looked like his game translated to the NFL, despite the fact that his college dominator was identical to Laquan Treadwell's 29.3%, below the 50th percentile. And the moment the Benjamin pick came in, I knew it was a bad pick. A lot of people in the football metrics community knew taking Kelvin Benjamin in the first round was suboptimal because a lot of us look at more than just size and draft position. Myself and others in this community could pinpoint exactly why Jordan Matthews and Allen Robinson and Dante Moncrief were superior picks at that draft slot. They were, still remain so. Before and after the draft, Kelvin Benjamin never cracked my top five wide receivers in the 2014 draft class. I had numerous second round and third round picks ahead of him because my prospect evaluation methodology looks at more than just three numbers. But then I continue to hear, even now, that Benjamin is a far superior player to Devin Funchess. Why? Why is that? Well, because he was a first round pick. And because he was a first round pick, Carolina desperately wants him to succeed. And if a team wants their wide receiver to succeed, well, then he's destined to succeed. All that matters is draft capital, right? That's the kind of circular logic that you read all the time as fantasy footballers struggle to reconcile a player's intrinsic quality with his implied opportunity. And I get that struggle. I live that struggle. But I try not to fall into this trap of the circular logic. If he's a first-round pick, then he's going to get the opportunity. Then if he's going to get the opportunity, he's going to score the fantasy points. If he scores the fantasy points, he's going to continue to get opportunity. It's the cold fusion of fantasy football analysis. Advocating for bad players like Kelvin Benjamin in his one full season in the NFL. Kelvin Benjamin, 6.9 yards per target, near league bottom, negative 3.5 production premium. So basing your evaluation of a player based solely on implied opportunity is flawed reasoning. No team wanted its prized young wide receiver to be successful more than Green Bay wanted Devontae Adams to be a great receiver last year. And no matter how steadfast Green Bay was vigorously propping up Devontae Adams all season, they fed him targets all year to the detriment of the Green Bay offense and to Aaron Rodgers statistics. 
And what happened? Devontae Adams failed anyway. He failed in the most spectacular possible fashion. He had a game where he secured 10 receptions on 21 targets for 79 yards. He had a two-catch game for 14 yards on 11 targets. So just because a team drafts you in the first round does not mean you're destined for success, even with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. And I feel like Player Profiler was built to allow fantasy gamers to look for these under-the-radar players who could one day usurp Kelvin Benjamin. Like Jeff Janis usurped Devontae Adams. That's why we're here, to answer this existential question. More than to analyze the first-round picks, it's to find the seventh-round picks that could one day usurp the first-round picks because some first-round picks BUST! But you all need to stop saying Moritz Bowringer or Bo Richter. Is it Bo Richter or Bo Ringer? Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. Is it Bo Richter or Bo Ringer? I have no idea. But please stop saying that Moritz Bo Richter is the next Jeff Janis. You sound ridiculous. As I just sounded ridiculous with that terrible German accent. Oh yeah, Moritz Bo Ringer. He's super fast. Plays football like he's on the Autobahn. Again, that was terrible. I sounded like someone doing an impersonation of the husband and wife that were pulled over on Super Troopers, but it was a really bad impersonation. Anyway, Moritz Bowringer, or Bo Richter, whatever, he started playing football in 2013 for the first time ever. He touched a football. You understand that? He touched a football for the first time in his late teens in 2013. That was the first time his skin touched the leather of a football. American football players start throwing a football at age four. My friend's son is five. He can sling a spiral across the yard. So no, Moritz Bowringer is not the next Jeff Janis. He's not a player. I'll guarantee you he doesn't make an NFL roster. I mean, if Bowringer or Bo Richter makes a final 53-man roster, I will eat my shoe. I'm taking my shoe off right now. I will eat the shoe. It's actually a slipper, but I will eat it. The whole thing. Rubber sole everything. I'll kill myself trying to eat the slipper. That's how certain I am that Morris Bowringer will not make an active NFL roster. He just won't do it. Maybe a practice squad. Maybe. That's up for debate. Again, he started playing football in 2013. He broke out at age 22. Jeff Janis broke out at age 20. That's a two-year difference right there. That's a huge difference. The difference between a 22-year-old breakout age and a 20-year-old breakout age is significant. Jeff Janis had 83 receptions for 1,572 yards and 14 touchdowns in his final season at Saginaw Valley State. In his final year with the Unicorns, and that's unbelievable, right? The fact that a guy with Moritz Bowringer's measurables would play for a German team called the Unicorns. A guy with a 4-4-3-40 at 6'4", 227 pounds that comes out to a 122.797th percentile height adjusted speed score to go along with a 131.8 burst score and a 1073 agility score on playerprofile.com. Morris Bowringer's catch radius, 1047, 99th percentile. That is a unicorn. And who did he play for in Germany? The unicorns. Yet, while he was in Germany, he wasn't even the most dominant wide receiver on his own team. That is an indictment. Patrick Donahue. Who is that? I don't know. Of course no one knows who Patrick Donahue is. 
The reason why Patrick Donahue deserves distinction is because Patrick Donahue outproduced the one, the only, the mythical Moritz Bowringer when Patrick Donahue had 75 receptions for 1,353 yards and 17 touchdowns. More receptions, more yards, and more touchdowns than Bowringer in Bowringer's final season in Germany. Now, how the hell is that player going to make an NFL roster? The answer is he's not. Oh, but hey, he and Janice are both big. He and Janice are both fast. <gasps> and he and Janice are both white. So they must be the same guy. The thing is, if you were to play in one of these 32-team leagues on Reality Sports Online, then you would have to consider rostering Moritz Bowringer. I mean, I would never consider rostering him on a 12-team or a 14-team Dynasty League. But if you're playing in a 32-team Dynasty League, then... You have to consider players like Moritz Bowringer. And that's why Reality Sports Online is sponsoring this show because we talk about players that the serious fantasy gamers need to know about. Because serious fantasy league players play fantasy football at Reality Sports Online. RealitySportsOnline.com was designed by former NFL front office personnel and is the only fantasy platform at least the one that I know of. It's the only fantasy platform that I know of that mimics what it's like to be a real NFL GM and run a real NFL franchise. So go to realitysportsonline.com now to demo their mock free agency auction today and use the discount code UNDERWORLD to get 10% off when you join a league. So yes, I admit, in a 32-team league, it would not be ridiculous to roster Moritz Bowringer. Even though saying Moritz Bowringer especially with the German accent, does sound ridiculous. I know it sounds ridiculous. I don't know why I've spent so much time talking about this guy, but my timeline has been inundated with requests to talk about Morris Bowringer. And is he the next Jeff Janis? And the answer is no, it's ridiculous. And speaking of sounding ridiculous, I had to sit back and marvel at something that Matthew Barry said on a recent podcast. Barry said, I've done it without being negative to anyone. Yes. Matthew Barry said that. The pious Matthew Barry has never been negative to anyone. Hmm. Well, at least not publicly negative in a way that could be traced back to Jesus Barry Christ. Jesus Barry Christ. That sounds like a delicious cereal, doesn't it? I would buy that. Jesus Barry Christ. A little milk on there. Some blueberries. Cut up some banana. Mmm, delicious. If Matthew Barry sponsored one item in the grocery store, I would think it would be cereal. He looks like a guy that eats a lot of cereal. He also looks like a guy who thinks a lot of himself. And I always marvel when the celebrities and the sports stars get consumed by themselves. They get consumed by this messiah complex. And I think that's what's swept over Matthew Barry. And when celebrities and sports stars get consumed by the messiah complex, it is a marvel to behold. You just have to look at them and go, how can you say these things with a straight face? And they can do it. They can do it because their ego has risen to a place where they feel like they can say and do anything with impunity. And we will love it because they are stars. They are celebrities. That's what it's like to live in that world. You can essentially do and say anything no matter how ridiculous. And we'll eat it up. I've done it without ever being negative to anyone. Really? My favorite part was when the podcast was released. Matthew Berry tweeted out a link to the podcast. And his comment was, I thought this interview was really interesting. Of course you did. You were the one being interviewed. Of course you think you are interesting. If anyone thinks that Matthew Berry is interesting, I would think it would be Matthew Berry at this point. And again, I believe him. I believe that he's never been publicly negative to anyone. Well, except 
hundreds of NFL players that he's claimed to hate both in print and online. Except all those guys, right? The love-hate column. Just every week, a list of players that he hates. Except for those guys. But no, I believe Matthew Barry when he says that he's never gone out of his way to insult anyone in the fantasy football industry. Well, at least anyone he thinks could in any way further his career. I believe him. I believe him. Yes. But are we supposed to believe that Matthew Barry holds no grudges? Of course he does. He's human. So what he's really saying is, during my career, I've honed a special set of skills. One of which being the skill of being disingenuous. Kissing ass whenever I need to. Complimenting members of the sports media industry, even though some I quietly despise. It's a skill I've sculpted over the years. That's how I've become Matthew Barry. Meanwhile, I've built an entire content framework, a sports column called Love Hate, around the idea of channeling hate at our sports heroes. <laughs> that is rich! Sports heroes that Matthew Barry and his fans claim to admire while secretly resenting. There's a popular misconception about how selling out works. Selling out is not creating content that is less controversial to ensure that it has mass appeal, to ensure consumption by a larger audience. That's just smart media craftsmanship. That's not selling out. A lot of people confuse that with selling out. That's not selling out. Having mass market appeal doesn't mean you sold out. To me, selling out is creating a contrived persona. Selling out is the final resting spot for the emotionally dishonest. Not criticizing members of your industry who you actually do disagree with while creating a contrived love-hate editorial template that creates a safe space for fantasy gamers and sports fans to direct vitriol at the entertainers. That is what selling out looks like. If I disagree with you, I won't do so publicly. Let me go and direct all of my hatred at the entertainers. Excuse me. Hate is a pretty strong word, isn't it? Hate. Hate him. God. Hate Bishop Sankey. Hate Reuben Randall. Arr. I remember people hating Joseph Randall last year. Meanwhile, Joseph Randall had real psychological and emotional problems. Hated him. Dallas Cowboy fans hated Joseph Randall. Hated him. Why? He's an entertainer. Why are you hating on people who are getting paid to try to entertain you, to make you happy, to make you laugh? Walking on a tightrope where any mistake will be criticized by millions of people. It takes courage to do what professional athletes do. And what do we do? We sit behind our computers and type up hate columns. I've never said that I hate a player on these airwaves. And I've never written it in print either because I don't hate the players. I don't hate the entertainers. I admire them. I hate their average draft positions. I hate their trade value, but I don't hate the people. And for me, that's an important distinction. So would anyone dispute that Matthew Barry is partially responsible for helping to popularize the hating of professional athletes? I've always found the vicious language used to disparage professional athletes unsettling. And Matthew Barry is one of the many enablers of the internet hate cloud that descends on these athletes and drives them off of social media. And you don't know how it affects them in their private life. We, we will not know that. How many athletes are depressed because of the vitriol that fans have spewed in their direction? We'll never know that. I don't want to know that. But here we are, living in a world where fantasy analysts are terrified to criticize anyone who could be the next Matthew Barry. So let's all just support each other. 
whenever we read bad analysis, don't criticize it, but let's make sure we get a comfy seat in front of the couch, make sure we're nice and comfortable so we can electronically attack the players who underperformed and failed to help me win a fantasy football matchup. Let's make sure we can do that, though. And then these same people fall over themselves, lining up to applaud Matthew Barry for doing it the right way. You made it to the top of the industry the right way. You didn't criticize any of us. You did it without being negative to anyone, even though you're the same person who coined the term players I hate, quote unquote. Oh, I love you, Matthew Barry. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Love you, Matt. Go get him, buddy. Did it the right way. No better way to do it. You demand!